Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and I want to draw our attention this morning to verses 14 through 20, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 14, all the way to verse 20, and uh, I'll read this passage for us. Paul writes, and he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. For I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Father, as we look to your word now, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, uh, help our hearts to embrace all that is here for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, when in the world are we going to get back to the Gospel of Mark? And uh, I'm with you in that. Uh, we only have two chapters left in our study of Mark, and I promise that we will uh, finish him up. I thought that we were going to be back in Mark this Sunday. And I'll tell you how we ended up being in Romans 1 for this Sunday. It wasn't a planned thing. But uh, I found myself on January 1st restarting my uh, read through the Bible plan that I've been using for a handful of years now. And on January 1, I found myself reading Romans 1. And as I read Paul's words here in the verses that we're looking at, something just told me uh, this is where we need to be focused for this particular Sunday, the first Sunday in 2024, as we look ahead to the new year uh, as individual Christians and as a church family. And here's why Paul's words here struck me so forcibly on New Year's Day. I thought just as we look forward to plans ahead in 2024, Paul himself looked forward to plans that he was making. He hoped, he says in the, the beginning of Romans, he hoped that he might be able to visit the Roman church, which he'd not yet been able to visit. He had many friends there. If you go to the very last chapter of Romans, in Romans 16, you'll see a whole list of people that he knew there, but he had not yet been able to visit. And he tells us in verses 10 through 13, he often tried to and was always prevented, but he hoped that God would give him an open door soon to go and visit. Uh, his plans, he understood, uh, were pending plans on God's bigger designs for him. I thought that's a good reminder for us as we look ahead to 2024 as individuals. All the things that we have on the calendar are tentative plans pending God's approval. 
But one thing that struck me was that no matter whether his plans happened or didn't happen, he was going to be about one thing that was non-negotiable. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he would be a faithful witness for the gospel. In fact, if you take a look at the very, very, very first verse in chapter 1, he tells us his purpose in life. He tells us how he understood himself. He says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. I am called. I am set apart for the gospel of God. And in this self-designation, he's reminding us of who we are. We don't share with him his special uh, designation as an apostle. But we ourselves, if we belong to Jesus, we are servants of Christ. We are called. We have been set apart for the gospel. As we look forward in 2024 as individuals and as a church family, I want us to see from Mark, from, there I go, from Paul, from Paul, what are the marks of a faithful witness that we should be carrying with us into 2024 as we think about being faithful witnesses for the gospel. Four things. Paul shows us that we are obligated, that we are eager, that we should be unashamed, and that we can be confident. We'll take each one in turn. First, Paul shows us that as a faithful witness, uh, he was, first of all, obligated. He was obligated. If you take a look at verse 14, how does he begin? Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul understood that his witness for the gospel was not just an optional thing, but it was an obligation of duty and a duty to all peoples. That's why he says in verse 14, kind of a, in a strange way, he says uh, to Greeks and to barbarians, to wise and to foolish, all he's really saying is, I'm obligated to every single person that I come across to make the gospel known. Uh, he saw this as an absolute duty. Of course, we know Paul's life had been radically changed. His dramatic conversion experience that transformed his life for all time. Remember when he was on the Damascus Road as it's uh, accounted for us in the book of Acts? And on the Damascus Road, he literally was on his way to go and persecute Christians. And he was sucker punched to the ground by the revelation of Jesus Christ's bright, shining, resurrected glory showing and revealing himself to Paul. And Paul came to worship that which once he had been kicking against, and he knew, he knew personally just what a radical change had taken place and the obligation that he had by Jesus to make the gospel known. And in the same way, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, our conversion might not be such a dramatic experience as Paul's, but we ourselves have felt that radical change that has taken place. And we can feel that sense of burden and duty and obligation to make the gospel known to others. Now, I have to confess to you this week, I've struggled with this word obligation. 
uh, the fleshly, sinful part of me wishes that Paul would have said in verse 14, you know, it's highly recommended by God that I make the gospel known. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's really up to me, but we'll see. And, and not to everybody, but to those who are like me, uh, to those who are my friends, to those that I don't risk, you know, getting my reputation tarnished if I create a, a friendship with them. But no, Paul says, under obligation to every single person. We know that we have been commissioned to this very thing by the Lord Jesus. In the Great Commission, to make disciples of all the nations, to be his witnesses starting next door, all the way to the ends of the earth. That is why our statement, our vision statement here at Grace is to see the lost saved and the saved transformed by the gospel. We should feel what Paul felt in 1 Corinthians 9 when he wrote, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now just think for a moment of those that God has set you down around in your little personal sphere of life, those that you have influence over, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. You have different obligations to each and every set of, of those categories. But Paul reminds us that our ultimate obligation to each person is to be a representative of Jesus. We are obligated to make the gospel known. But Paul moves from the realm of being obligated to telling us that he's also eager. Uh, he moves from the realm of duty to the realm of delight. Take a look at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Uh, Paul, as he thinks about uh, being able to visit Rome, he says, I don't just have to go. I get to go. I'm excited to go. I am eager to preach the gospel to you. We all know the difference between things that we feel obligated to do and things that we are eager to do. Um, I am obligated to clean the toilet. Now, I am obligated to change a diaper. Uh, I am obligated to you name it. Am I eager? Mm, not so much. I don't know if you've seen my son's diapers. Or smelled them. But for Paul, when it came to being a witness for the gospel, when it came to evangelism, he knew no difference between obligation and being eager. He was both. Paul, I think, is the all-star example of an urgent longing and burden to see lost souls Come to know the Lord Jesus savingly. If we would turn to Romans 9, we would see the burden that he had for his own ethnic people, the Jewish people. And he says, uh, essentially in those verses, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if it meant that they could be saved. In other words, I'd be willing to lose my salvation and go to hell for all eternity if it meant that my people could belong to Christ and spend eternity 
with him. Now, friends, I am not there, but I want to be there. As I've looked at my own heart this week, I'm actually very concerned about my own lack of urgency, my own burden for those that I love, for those that I know, to hear the gospel and to hear it through me. As I've thought about the lack of that in my own heart, I wonder what must that say about my, con- my lack of concern for the honor of Jesus and my lack of love for perishing people? And I get paid to preach. I get paid to evangelize. I was thinking of the quote of uh, the famous atheist uh, magician Penn, I think his last name is pronounced Gillette, um, of the famous duo Penn and Teller. Did anyone know Penn and Teller? Um, Pendulet is is an atheist, and he's quoted saying this at one point. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because, well, it might make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody? To not proselytize. Yikes. Friends, I wonder if your heart is like my heart and you see there in your heart a, uh, the, the same lack of urgency, the same lack of concern, what if we prayed together? Even just this week, every day, a simple prayer, Lord, give me the same eagerness that Paul had to make the gospel known. Move me from being simply obligated to being eager to preach the gospel. Give me a burden and concern for people to hear the gospel and to hear it through me. Well, Paul says he's obligated, he's eager, and next he tells us that he's flat out just unashamed to be a witness of the gospel. That famous verse, if you take a look at verse 16, some of you probably have it memorized. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Of course, the word gospel means good news. And why would we ever be ashamed of good news? And Paul tells us that he is not ashamed of the gospel because this good news, he says, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The the gospel is where God's power comes to bear upon human lives. The gospel originates in God. It is something that he has done. It is something that he has accomplished. It is not just a a theory. It's not just another man-made religion on offer on the smorgasbord of man's spiritual options, but it is God's doing. He has entered in. He has worked in real time and actual history, revealing himself through the person of Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, and through the reliable testimony of the scriptures. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, why the gospel is of first importance and why it is reliable. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ 
died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And if you wonder if it's verifiable, he says he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You can go and talk to them today, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. It's a trustworthy testimony. Uh, Paul knew and had friends and partners who decidedly became at the some point in their juncture of walking with Jesus, of partnering with Paul in gospel ministry, decided that they would be ashamed of the gospel. He tells us about them in the pastoral letters that he wrote to the young pastor Timothy. First, there was Hymenaeus and Alexander who made shipwreck of their faith. There was Hymenaeus and Philetus who swerved from the truth. There was Demas who fell in love with the world and deserted Paul. And so Tim Paul writes to Timothy, writing to us as well, warning us, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. But like me, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Friends, this year, 2024, it's going to bring with it temptations to each and every one of us to subtly be ashamed, to be embarrassed, to be shy, to be timid about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the forces of the culture around us and the prevailing tide of the way that the church is going in our own day, the temptation is going to come to us to just loosen up a little, to, to, to get a little too comfortable and begin to let things go that are so integral to the integrity of the gospel message. The tide of evangelicalism today, it is moving from grace and truth slowly into grace and openness, grace and accommodation, grace and tolerance. And we, we must, we must absolutely be unashamed to say, no, the gospel is an unchanging message. We must stand on the integral parts, the reality of sin, the reality of hell, the reality of Christ, the reality of faith, the reality of eternal life, the reality of repentance. Uh, Ian Murray, in his book called Evangelicalism Divided, which I read um, last December, it was uh, a striking read. He, he traces the history of sort of the, the shifting tide in evangelicalism starting in the 1950s to where we are today. And this is his conclusion. He said, either Christianity is just another variation of human thought and imagination with no right to teach certainties, or it is the one God-given means by which sinners are brought to Christ and heaven. And the practical consequences are equally antithetical. Either one lives trusting in oneself or believing in Christ.
the scriptures know no other alternative. That's why I had us read Galatians 1 for our scripture reading. The gospel is an unchanging message, and to tweak it is for it to become no gospel at all. Satan has done an amazing job, I think, uh, of trying to get us on our back foot by convincing people that the message of the Bible is, at best, uh, outdated and therefore irrelevant, and at worst, full of bigotry and prejudice. But that's not the case. In fact, Paul is going to go on to tell us that we don't need to be on our back foot. We do not need to be ashamed. We don't need to be afraid. In fact, we can be confident. Confident. Why can we be confident as we think about being faithful witnesses for the gospel in 2024? Because, Paul says, the advantage is on our side when it comes to gospel witness. We are the ones in possession of the truth. Paul gives us uh, the great reality, the great truth of every single person that we know who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus. What is true for you as a student, for every single one of your friends in school who are not believers? What is true for those of you in the retirement community, for all the unbelievers in your dining room that you sit with every, every whenever you eat, in the evening? Um, uh, what about those of you in the business world? those who share cubicles, office spaces that are not believers. What is absolutely true of them? Here's what Paul says. They are actively wrestling against the existence of God, which they cannot avoid. They are actively wrestling against the existence of God, which they cannot avoid because, Paul's going to tell us, God has revealed himself very plainly and very clearly in two ways. How has God revealed himself to every living person on the world? First, in creation. In creation. Take a look at verse 18. In verse 18, he tells us how God has done this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here we go. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You look out at the world, you look at the beauty and order and creativity of it all and you realize there must absolutely be a creator behind all this. First, he's revealed himself in creation, and secondly, Paul tells us that he has revealed himself in the conscience, in the conscience of every person. We have to go into chapter 2 for this. Take a look at chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14. How has God revealed himself to the inner man? Through our consciences. Uh, verse uh, 14 of chapter 2, he says, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He has so created us in his image 
with a conscience that when we kick against uh, what is his plan, we feel this sense of guilt and shame. Why does that come up? Because God has revealed himself through the conscience to know the difference between righteousness and evil. So then the question is, if this is the case, if God has clearly revealed himself in creation and in the conscience, then why don't people just accept? And why don't people just believe? Well, he tells us in verse 18, they are actively suppressing the truth, suppressing the truth. Our good friend Mark Farnham, many of you are wondering why in the world is this beach ball on the stage? Here we go. Uh, Mark Farnham in his class when I had him for Bible college had this great illustration that I've never forgotten. I was in his apologetics class. He was teaching us that we can be confident to share the gospel because he says this very nature of Romans 1 that every unbeliever is actively suppressing the truth. And he said, here's what it looks like to suppress the truth. It's like having a beach ball that you're trying to keep under the pool water. And what do you have to do to keep that ball under the water. It's not just going to sink on its own. You got to keep your hands on it. You got to keep pushing it down, pushing it down. It requires energy. It requires thought. And, and then what happens when you let go? Boop. It's going to pop right back up. Beach ball as the existence of God, the reality of God. Believe, unbeliever has to keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down, out of thought, out of mind. Then suffering comes then trials come, then guilt and shame come, and it gets tiring to try to push the existence of God down, and what happens? Boop! Keeps popping up to the surface. Mark Farnham's point was, all that energy, all that chaos, all that heartbreak, all that brokenness, it's the Christian's job to come alongside lovingly, compassionately, gently, wisely put our arm around them and say, hey, can we just bring the ball up to the surface for a moment? And, and can we just acknowledge that God is there? Can we do that together? And then can we ask the question, who is this God who is there that you can't shake the reality of? And might you let me just tell you about how this God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. How he came, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then he died for sin so that our guilt and shame that, you, that you're actively pushing God away because of, he died that that might go away, and he rose again from the dead so that your fear of death might go, and you might have the hope of eternity so that you don't have to do this anymore but that you can do this and embrace him, the gospel message. It's what Paul did in Athens. I see that you have a plaque, altar to the unknown God. What you don't know, I want to tell you today, tell you who this God is that you don't know. His name is Jesus. Here's how you can get to know him. Here's why he matters. As we think about these things, we have to remind ourselves uh, the, the pressure that we feel around us is not um, something that should make us hide. We can be absolutely confident because God has revealed himself. John Stott, on commenting on Jesus saying that we are the salt of the earth, has this quote, I've shared it before, but it, it's so striking. 
we think about what's happening around us, who is to blame? John Stott points the finger at us as the church. Here's what he says. Christian salt, salt of the earth, has no business to remain snugly and elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed in to the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat from going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? Grace Church, are we huddled together in our fine little elegant ecclesiastical salt cellar? Are we being rubbed into our community? Are we being rubbed into our world to make the unknown Christ known to those who must know it? We're obligated, let's be eager, let's be unashamed, and we can be confident. We need to hear the words that God told Paul in Acts 18. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. I have many in this city who are my people. So we look forward to 2024. Let's be faithful witnesses, obligated, eager, unashamed, confident.